You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. We're going to uh, look at John 10 today. We've finished, we're finishing up this wonderful chapter of God's Word, John 10. And uh, this, this story is going to have various mentions of the idea of gripping or grasping on to something, of, of God's grisp, grasp on us or of us on him. And it got me thinking of the importance of having a good grip on things. Uh, as I, I was rolling back through my life thinking about these things, I first realized, man, from start to finish of life, having good grip is important. You think of the footy pajamas that little toddlers have and they walk around in our house on wood floors. And if they don't have like the traction little nubs on that thing, they just fall right over. So from the beginning of life to when you're older and get into denture territory, you got to have some good grip on those things to make sure when you bite into an apple uh, that your teeth don't come out with it. Um, but grip is always important. I was remembering one story in particular. I have a twin brother, if you did not know that, and we would go golfing occasionally when we were in high school, and we uh, went this one day, it was rainy, uh, which is not usually good to try to golf when it's raining, and we had just junker golf clubs that my dad had had that were hand-me-downs to him and that he handed down to us, and uh, they had these rubber grips on them that had just gotten worn down and were super slick and uh, smooth, and uh, we came up to this short par three, it's like one of the shorter golf holes, but there was a big pond between us and the green, like we were trying to hit our ball, and I don't remember where I I hit mine, I think I hit first, and then uh, my brother came up, and he pulls out one of those clubs and goes to hit it, and I don't remember for the life of me where the ball went. I think it was actually a decent shot, but as it went flying, the golf, my eyes went to the golf club as well, because the golf club went tomahawking out of his hand and landed right in the middle of the pond. And so we, needless to say, were not diving in to get an old junk nine iron or something. But it, la- it landing in the water, was a, and thinking back on that, it was a simple, uh, funny reminder to me of the importance of having a good grip. Maybe he should have just gripped it tighter or had a glove, or maybe we should have gotten some new grips on that thing. But having a good grip is important. We see it in all sorts of domains of life. And we're going to see it of eternal significance in this passage of our grip upon Christ and even more important, his grip upon us. And so we're going to read this text together here in just a minute. I want to set the scene, then we'll read it and we'll walk back through it. We're going to start at verse 22 here in a moment, but if you haven't been able to be with us the last few weeks, or maybe even at all through this, we've been going through this book of the Bible called John. It's the record of one of Jesus' disciples uh, who became an apostle named John, and he was around Jesus as he did many of these things, and he wrote down these records of the last couple years of Jesus' life. And we started several months ago and saw that John's story, as he told it, started with John the Baptist baptizing people by the Jordan River, and Jesus started to come on the scene and started to accumulate disciples. And we saw numerous times John gives special attention to how Jesus would go to Jerusalem for these different festivals that would happen the last couple years before he died. He would drop in at these festivals and he would do miracles, healings, he would teach people. And it came with some mixed reviews, mixed responses of people. There were some who started to believe or at least be intrigued. But there was this group we'll see again in this passage called the Jews, John called them, these leaders within Jerusalem, this capital city, who were would meet Jesus with a negative response or like antagonizing him, provoking him, even trying to arrest him. 
And we've seen that over and over again. Jesus coming to Jerusalem and most of them rejecting him, although some were starting to be intrigued. And we're going to see this again today in what we read. Um, Jesus has just gotten off the heels of uh, what Pastor Larry preached wonderfully for us last week of calling himself the Good Shepherd. And we're going to see this last festival now as we start called the Feast of Dedication. It's what modern-day people we call Hanukkah. It would be happening during our month of December in the winter time in Jerusalem. Uh, this is where we're going to pick up the story of Jesus. And so John 10, and following, John recorded this for us. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say, then this he refers to himself, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went again, or he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. It's a wonderful text. There's much that uh, we can see and I trust glean from this. I would summarize what I want to share today from this passage uh, as this. Is that as you grasp on to Christ. As you hold on to him. As you grasp on to Christ. Remember that he is grasping on to you. With an infinitely stronger grip. That as you grasp onto Christ, remember that He is grasping onto you with an infinitely stronger grip. Now, this this passage has a few direct references to grip or a hand being wrapped around a person. The the Jews are trying to wrap their hands around Jesus, but Jesus references the hand of Him or the hand of the Father and securely being around His people. And so, I, I want to use some of that language, borrow some of that language. To talk about God, to talk about grip and grasp and taking hold of 
things, us of Christ and him of us. And I, I want to first, though, summarize this story, make sure we understand what actually took place, because there's some uh, various things that took place. And to do that, I would phrase it this way, borrowing that, that grasping terminology. I think what you see happening here is the Jews, that group John is talking about, the Jews, their failure to grasp Christ. That's what's happening in this story, is their failure to grasp Christ. And I mean that on two ways. One, I think you see that they're just mentally not able to grasp who he is and what he's doing and what the things he's trying to communicate about himself. So they don't understand. They're not grasping that way. Um, But also, they're literally physically trying to grasp him and and circle him and arrest him and stone him. And Jesus gives them the slip. They're not able to actually even physically grasp him. But the first thing that you see with them not being able to mentally even grasp, who is he? What is he saying about himself? You see that right from the start of this story. Jesus is walking in the temple in that colonnade of Solomon. And it says that the Jews gathered around him in verse 24. And they ask him a question. They, they say that Jesus is keeping them in suspense. And they say, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Just make it clear, Jesus. And so you see that they, uh, Jesus answers them and says, essentially, I have been telling you this. And maybe I haven't used this sentence, I am the Christ. But everything I'm doing, the, the titles I'm taking up for myself, like the Good Shepherd and, and the I am and all these things that we've been hearing about, I'm telling you guys, like people are starting to get it. Like people are starting, some of them are starting to believe in me. My sheep, they're starting to hear my voice and believe, but you guys don't get it. And it, so he's saying that he has been teaching them. He says, I, I have told you, verse 25. And then in verse 25, he says, and my works are telling, should be telling you, like, as you guys see what I'm doing, these things should be speaking to you very clearly that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. But the this, this story continues, and you see they're, they're not getting it. They're not wrapping their minds around who he says he is. And as he's done a few times already in the story of John, you see as he gets deeper into this conversation, especially in like verses 29 and 30, Jesus starts to talk about himself being united with the Father and saying, he even goes so far as to say in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Like we work together. Not that we're the same, but we work together as God the Father, God the Son. And that's when they pick up stones again to stone him. And they start accusing him of being blasphemous. And they even say things that, like in verse 33, they say, you're blaspheming because you, being a man, you make yourself God. That's how they understand what's going on. That's how they're making sense of this and grasping on it. Here's a human, just like me, and you're making yourself into God. And I think John would want us to see through that and realize it's exactly the opposite. That Jesus is God who's become a man. They're they're thinking he's just a human being who's trying to make himself into God. But what is real is that he is God, always has been, and has now become a man, entered into our world to save us. But they are not wrapping their mind. They're not grasping this about him. And so they pick up stones to kill him. And Jesus tries to reason with them. And we don't have time to get into all the nuances of verses 34 and following. It's a very interesting line of reasoning Jesus uses quoting Psalm 82 with them. But in a nutshell, what he's doing, they're really offended that he's calling himself the son of God. And he tries to point out from Psalm 82, language even where God himself referred to someone else as uh, as God, as a son of God. 
or as gods, excuse me. And so he's, he's trying to say, you guys believe the Psalms. You believe the Old Testament. They wouldn't have called it Old Testament, but you believe those scriptures. And even in them, you see and you read about God referring to someone as gods. And so he's saying, like, why do you get so offended that I call myself the son of God? Like that I take these titles onto myself. And he goes even further and says, my works are proving it. Like, I'm not just making this up about myself. My works are proving who I am. They're showing that I am not just a human making myself God. I am the Christ that God has sent. And so they're not able to get this. They, they still, by the end, in verse 39, they're seeking to arrest him. And, but he escapes from their hands. And that's where we see this, that second level, their failure to grasp Jesus. Is, it's just ironic that the one who is saying rightfully, nobody can snatch people out of my hands, like I'm all-powerful, nobody can come against me and take them out of my hands, that these Jewish leaders are trying to arrest him and take them into their hands and, and put him in chains and take him and put him on trial. They had surrounded him, we saw. Almost, I mean, it's at least implied back in verse 24, like how they had gathered around him. And they're not coming neutral with these questions. You don't come neutral to Jesus and then come ready to stone him uh, within a couple minutes span of time. They were wanting to trap him. They were wanting to arrest him. We've seen that over and over again. But Jesus escapes from them because it's not his time yet to be crucified and to die, to be raised from the dead. And so the Jews are not able to grasp Christ. They're not able to get it up here in their minds, and they're not able to wrap their hands around him physically. And so by the end of the story, you see Jesus leaves that capital city. He leaves Jerusalem. For, this is the last time he's in this city before he returns at Passover. A few months later, before he returns uh, to be crucified and be raised from the dead. And he goes away to this region around the Jordan River. And there we see that people in droves are believing. Many are starting to believe in him there. And so we see that they're unable to grasp Christ. But in the time that remains, I want to see two things from this text. One is that we must grasp on to Christ. Like I think you see that in this text very clearly through these words about belief that comes up over and over that we must grasp onto Christ. Every single one of us needs to lay hold of him. But we're going to see even more importantly that Christ must grasp onto us. That he has to grab onto us and take hold of us. And so I want to start first to show you a few places in here that we can see this reality that we must grasp onto Christ. We have to take hold of him. John uses this word, if you read through the Gospel of John, you see the word believe or belief over and over and over again. And it even comes up several times in this passage, this idea that John is driving at, that Jesus is driving at, that all human beings are called to believe in Jesus, to believe in Christ. And going with this word grasp, there, there's different parts of what it means to believe, as Jesus says this and John says this. There's this mental understanding of I need to know certain things about Jesus and at least be able to wrap my head around that. I have to grasp that, that he's the son of God who's become a human, that died on the cross as a substitute for me, been raised from the dead, offers me forgiveness if I put my trust in him. So I need to mentally grasp him, believe in him. But there's this spiritual element to a heart level, a trust in him. That's partly implied in belief too. That I, it's not just that I believe and know certain things in my head, but in my heart and my soul, I'm putting my trust in him. I'm grabbing on to him in that way. I'm, I'm trusting in him, putting all my hope in him. I'm clinging to him. That's all wrapped up in this word, believe. 
And you see it mentioned in this passage several times. You see this first group that Jesus is initially interacting with that John calls the Jews. We see him say just matter-of-factly in verse 25 about them, you do not believe. He says, I told you. They're asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And he says, I told you, and you do not believe. He just says, matter-of-factly, you don't understand it, and you're, you're definitely not latching on to me and trusting me at a heart and a soul level. And he, he explains a little bit of why that is. He says uh, that, that they don't believe because they're not part of his flock, verse 26, that they're not part of his people. He says, if you are, like if you were one of my sheep, you would hear my voice and you would know me. Or he says, I would know you, verse 27, and you would follow me. You would do what I say. You would grab on to me and follow me. And Jesus is making it clear these people do not believe. They're not understanding, but they're also not at a heart level putting their trust in him. But there's a group at the end of this passage who does believe, right? There's a, a different response in them. As he goes away from Jerusalem and goes out across that Jordan River where he had started a few years before, this passage ends with this simple statement, many believed in him there. And so there's this response in them that, that they, as they hear about Jesus, as they hear about the works that he's done, as they hear about who he is, they wrap their minds around it. And at a heart level, it seems like they're grasping onto him and saying, I'm putting my hope in you, Jesus. As what John the Baptist said about you is true. I am putting my hope in you, my confidence in you. They're grabbing onto him. They're believing in him. And in between that, in between this group that, that doesn't believe and this group that does, I want to point out to you how Jesus engages the people who don't believe, the people who aren't grasping onto him yet. Some people will read passages, some people today will read passages like this one and the parts where Jesus says things like, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And they'll say, well, there's some people who are Jesus' sheep, and I'm going to tell them the good news of Jesus one time, and if they don't hear it and believe it, they just must not be part of his sheep, and I'm going on to other people. I'm not going to waste my time with them. But that is not what Jesus does here. Jesus has had conversation after conversation with the Jews in Jerusalem, and they are still not believing in him. He says, you do not believe. He says that matter-of-factly about them. But then he reasons with them. Did you know that? He, he goes to Psalm 82 with them and, and tries from God's word to get them to believe, to, to open their eyes, to open their hearts to believe. And he, at the end even of this conversation with them, in verses 37 and 38, he, he's appealing to the works that he's done. He's not just leaving them to be and saying, well, you're not my sheep, you don't believe. He's saying to them, these people who aren't believing, he's saying, look at what I've done. Like, look at the works God the Father has done through me. I'm proving over and over who I am. Like, look at them. Pay attention to them. He's reasoning with them and calling them to believe. He's not just writing them off and saying, well, you guys aren't mine. Um, Good riddance to you. He's appealing to people who haven't believed, and he's doing it repeatedly to them. As far as the relevance of this uh, idea of grasping onto Christ for our life, I would say first to every one of you in this room, is that you must take hold of Christ. Like Jesus is calling people over and over again in this passage and in his word to take hold of him. Like if you want eternal life, as he talks about in verse 28, Jesus says, I give it to you. 
If you want forgiveness of sins, it is not going to come by grasping on to some good works of yours or grabbing on to some other religion or grabbing on to some other philosophy. It is going to come by grabbing on to Christ. He is the place, he is the person that you can find forgiveness of sins through and eternal life through. I've been thinking, just, I don't, I'm not a big movie person, but for some reason the, this kind of stereotypical corny scene has been playing through my mind of where you see on TV shows or movies where somebody's like hanging on the edge of a, a ledge uh, and they're about to drop off and they're like hanging for dear life and uh, somebody finally comes over to the ledge and they like reach over their hand to, to and say grab on and there's this instant like question in that person who's hanging their mind of things like do I trust this person? And are they strong enough to pull me up? Like those are some of the questions that will be rolling through their minds. And that will determine, am I going to grab onto them? Am I going to give up my grip and grab onto them? Like do I trust them and will they be able to pull me up? And in a sense, we are in an infinitely worse predicament than that person. And that we are hanging over the, the abyss of death and the potential hell for our sins. Like, if we have no power to save ourselves, and Jesus, the Son of God, reaches over and reaches out and says, grab on to me. And we have, to, we have to answer this question, do I trust him enough to grab on to him? And is he strong enough to save me? Is he strong enough to pull me up? And I will tell you with confidence the answer to both of those is yes. 100% yes. Like, you can trust him. He laid down his life for you when he went to the cross. You can trust him. And he was given eternal life by God the Father a couple of days later. So he is definitely strong enough to save you, strong enough to pull you up out of your sin and the, the death and the hell that awaits you if you don't grab on. And so every one of us is to, to cling, to grab on to Christ in faith that he can save me. And I realize there's some of us in this room who may be hesitant to do that, who may have paused about doing that and saying, that sounds simple, but you're asking me to put my eternity in the, the hands of a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago. And I, I would call you, if that's you, to look at verse 38 and to hear the words of Jesus. I think he would want to say this to you today because he's alive and well in heaven right now. I want to hear you, have you hear this today. He says, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And I, I think Jesus would say to you today, I mean, he had been to these people, had been doing all these miracles and say, look at those works I've done. Look at those works. I've done. They're proving who I am, that, I, that I'm strong and that I can save you and that I love you. But Jesus today can point to something even greater. He can point to what happened to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem a couple months after this. His greatest work, where he went to the cross, and his power, infinitely powerful hands he let be stretched out upon the cross to die as a substitute for your sins and my sins. And he was laid in the tomb, dead as dead can be, having suffered the punishment for our sins. And God the Father raised him back up and gave him eternal life that would never go away again. That is the greatest work that even can be conceived, let alone pulled off, and Jesus did it. That, and he would point you to that work and say, look at that. If you don't believe Mark, if you don't believe these people who keep telling you about me, look at the cross and the empty tomb. I died for you and I was raised for you. Believe in that. I can save you. And he, he wants you to know if you will grasp onto him, he will grasp onto you and will never let go. 
So look to his greatest work. So we are all to take hold of Christ, but I would tell us who already have taken hold of Christ, maybe we did that long ago and we're holding on still. Uh, our responsibility is just as Jesus did here, is to call others to grasp onto Christ. That is what Jesus is doing in the middle section of this story. Is he is appealing to people who have not yet grasped onto him, who have not yet put their faith in him, and he's calling them to do just that, to say, believe in me, put your trust in me, put your confidence in me. And we do not have the liberty as God's people who, who have been saved by him to just look at people who maybe they've heard the good news of Jesus once and they, they haven't believed it and just say, well, you're not one of God's sheep. Like, I'm just going to go hang out with the sheep over here. I'm going to go tell other people. We are to go to people over and over and over again, just as Jesus did here. He didn't go and have one conversation with the Jews and then leave them be. Like, he went repeatedly to call them to believe and where to do the same. It could be the wonderful experience that when we tell our kids about Christ, or we tell a new neighbor about Christ, or we uh, tell a coworker about Christ, it could be that they have this very simple experience that Jesus describes at the beginning of this passage, that they hear his voice instantly, and they believe, and they follow him, and, and it's just this sweet response. Sometimes it happens. But often God uses repeated calling of the sheep. He he doesn't say that my sheep hear my voice the first time it comes to them. He says that they hear my voice. And for some of us in this room, we had to hear the voice of Christ a hundred times, a thousand times before he finally made us hear it and believe it and follow him. And we as God's people who've heard that voice, we as God's people who've gripped onto him, we need to keep calling people, not in a Bible-thumping badgering way but in a persistent loving winsome way saying you need to cling to christ like he's your only hope for eternal life and if we do that faithfully often the lord will work often the lord will make people into his sheep he will draw them in to his fold so we all must grasp on to christ but even more importantly in this text we see that christ must grasp on to us I think that's even more direct in this passage. Back in the first uh, words of Jesus in this text, where he's initially answering their questions, he, he's been using this shepherd imagery uh, a few weeks before, and he's still using it as he talks to the Jews uh, in this conversation. And down in verse uh, 28, he's talking about his sheep. And he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And he says this, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And there's this beautiful, powerful image of Jesus, the the eternal, infinite Son of God, uh, saying, when my sheep come to me, I wrap my powerful, all-powerful hands around them, and no one will take them away from me. Like, Satan himself can come bang out this door, and I will not give them up. I will not let go of them. Nobody can pry my fingers open to make this sheep escape. I have hold of them. I have taken hold of them. And if that's not great enough, I want you to pay attention to what he says right on the heels of that. This is the Son of God saying, no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. I'll hold on to them forever. Then verse 29, he just ratchets it up more and says, my Father who's given them to me, is greater than all, and then I love this, he says, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
So it's not, Jesus is saying one thing about him and his hold of his people, that no one will take them out of my hand. But it's like he's saying there's this eternal, infinite hand of the Father that's wrapped around mine, and no one is even able to take people out of, out of his hand. Like, it's not just that there's never going to be enemies who come and Satan trying to snatch people, because he does come and he does try to take us out of the hand of Christ. But Jesus is saying, God the Father's hand is wrapped around you as well, and no one is even able to pull you out of his hand. So it, it cannot happen. It will not happen. Christ has latched on to you if you've come to him in faith, and God the Father has latched on to you if you've come to him in faith and repentance. It was a beautiful image of the security that we have when we come to Christ, the protection that he provides for us as our shepherd who will never drop us, who will never let an enemy come after us and snatch us out of his hand. And yes, we are called, I've been, I just was preaching this, we are called to grasp on to Christ. We are called to do that till the day we die. There's other passages in the New Testament, maybe I'll preach sometime, that directly tell us that, like to endure to the end, keep holding on, hold on to the end. But this passage emphasizes that God will hold on to you. Christ will hold on to you. And yes, we're called to do it, but he will hold on to us. There's our family of churches, uh, Sovereign Grace Churches, has a wonderful music ministry. Uh, they produce a lot of songs. One that they put out a few years ago is called Cling to Christ. And it's about how we cling to Christ. But there's a bridge in it that I love that I listened to a few times yesterday where where they sing this. They say, it's more than I can do to keep my hold on you. But all my hope and peace is that you cling to me. That's a beautiful thing because there are times, there are days you might be living them now. There are weeks or seasons where you feel like your grasp on Christ is weak or like you're tempted to let go or you feel like, I can't, I don't know how I can keep trusting you. Like it's getting hard with the stuff that you're letting happen in my life and you feel your grip getting weak and, and sometimes that does, but Christ's grip of you never gets weak. Like it is permanent and strong and cannot be overcome. And that is far more important than your grasp of him. I was thinking of, uh, I don't like dogs, and I think my kids maybe have inherited a fear of dogs. And there's been some times when they're really young and a dog comes by that they come over and jump up into my arms. And you better believe when that happens that they, like, grab onto my shirt for dear life, like they're grasping on uh, to, to my shirt. Uh, but in that moment, think about what's happening. What is keeping them safe? Like, it's not that they're grabbing onto me. Like, if... If they were just grabbing onto me and that's all, they would just fall right down. But what is keeping them safe is that I am holding them. And yes, they're grabbing onto me, but if I'm not holding onto them, that dog is going to get them. Or maybe he won't. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but what has given them security is my hold. And that is the same that's true of us. We grab on to Christ in faith. We must grab on to Christ in faith. But what gives us security and hope and peace is that he is grabbing onto us. And he's not doing it begrudgingly, like, man, I wish these people would just leave me alone. He, said, he talks about us as a gift. He says the Father has given them into his hand. He wants us to be in his hand. He wants to protect us, wants to receive us. And so we need to grasp onto him, but he must and he will grasp onto us when we come to him in faith. Sometimes we are tempted to think as we look ahead into our life and death looming and eternity looming and our judgment that awaits. 
sometimes we know this isn't true, but we can uh, think that, the, that our safe arrival into to God's kingdom is dependent upon our grit, like our determination. Like, I'm going to make it to the end of life. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep doing this Christian thing. I'm going to keep serving him. And we think it's our determination, our obedience, our faithfulness, the strength of our grab upon Christ that's what's going to ensure our eternity with him. But this passage would speak very, very clearly to us that it is not your grit that gets you eternal life. It is Jesus' grit of you. Like him holding on to you. Him, the one who died for you and been raised for you, receiving you and grabbing hold of you for eternity. I want to leave you with a quote here uh, from Charles Spurgeon. If you hear me preach much, I quote him maybe too much. Uh, But uh, this is a wonderful quote. I took a few parts out of it just for the sake of space. But it speaks to what this passage speaks to. He said this. He said, Remember, therefore, it is not your hold on Christ that saves you. It is Christ. Therefore, do not look so much to your hand with which you are grasping to Christ, but to Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayer, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. That was a wonderful way to say that. As always, he says it better than I could. Um, But it is Christ's grasp of us that matters infinitely more than our grasp of him. And we are called to grasp on him. We must grasp on him. I would call you to grasp on him. But have eternal confidence and hope that he is grasping on to you and is glad to do it. He will protect you for eternity. He will save you.